0: Well, hey, y'all, I wanna tell you a little story from my past. See, about eight or nine years ago, I was given what remains to be one of the most meaningful gifts that, that anyone has ever given to me. Uh, it wasn't the most expensive gift. It, it wasn't like the coolest thing, but it's something I will never forget. Here's, here's the situation. At that time, my wife and I were living out in California. I was working at a church there um, with uh, middle school and high school students. We'd been a part of a core group there, a couples group uh, for a couple of years. And in that group, our friends, Matt and Robin, one of the other couples, the the week previous, they had announced that they were pregnant with their first baby. And uh, so we're at the week after And another couple from the group, Christy and Alex, they show up and they've got a little gift bag with some, you know, tissue paper sticking out and a bow on it. And and it's obvious that they have brought a baby gift for Matt and Robin. And while I wish this wasn't how I'd felt, when I saw it, my heart sank. And so, you know, they handed off this gift bag to Matt and Robin and said, hey, we are so excited for you guys. We're so excited for this little life. We know you've been waiting for this. Um, Man, we are just so pumped. And then she pulled out another bag and she handed this one to Lindsay and I. And inside it was this little yellow, like newborn onesie, just tiny piece of clothing. And I will never forget that moment because at that time, Lindsay and I had been waiting, hoping, praying, pleading with God um, that we would be able to adopt a baby of our own. And it just wasn't happening. And the week before when Matt and Robin had announced they were pregnant, I had wanted so badly to be happy and excited for them, to be the sort of friend I was accustomed to being, and I just couldn't quite get there because it, it hurt because there was something that I wanted so greatly that I was powerless to do anything about, and it seemed like it just wasn't gonna come. But in that moment, when Christy and Alex handed that bag to us, it told me that Lindsay and I weren't alone in feeling that desire, that somebody noticed, that somebody remembered, and that somebody took decisive action to care for us too. That is one of the most meaningful gifts I've ever received and something that I know I won't ever forget. But even in that moment, I remember thinking, what is it that shapes a person to do something like that? To see that need and to take an action, to notice how we were going to feel in that moment. What what does that? And that's what we're gonna talk about today because from the very, very beginnings of Christianity, of the church, the church has been a place of sensing others' needs and providing for the areas where they most need care. So listen, if you find yourself today where you are searching for some kind of sense of like purpose or deeper meaning in life, or you've just been trying to figure out, how do I feel more connected to God? Then, Then that's gonna be what we're getting at today. But before we get further into that, we are actually gonna open this service with a time of singing. And listen, here's why we do that. Every week at Ascent, our, our hope is that when you tune in like this, what you hear and see is going to help change you, help you grow. And one of the really powerful ways for that to happen is through song. And so as we sing these songs, here's what I want you to do to pay attention to the words, reflect on their meaning, and get yourself into a posture of being opened up to God to see if God might have something to say to you today.
1: Well, welcome to Ascent. We are so glad you are tuning in today. Um, Today we are going to be led in worship by myself, by Kristen, by Ben. We as a team are so pumped to have you along on the journey. So we want to invite you wherever you are. Will you enter in with us as Ben leads us?
2: I be I would
1: be hopeless without your goodness I would be desperate without your Be mine. will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will. Oh, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Oh yes, I will sing for joy When my heart is heavy
2: Good morning in a sense. we're going to get back to chris's sermon in just a little bit but before we do i gotta give you a few updates of some things that's taking place here we've been in conversation with lafayette elementary right down the street and they reached out for our help and we want to join them on this this is an initiative especially celebrating black history month and honoring black history month uh, they want to increase the number of books they have of people with diverse backgrounds so yes that includes people that look like me I think we can agree that this is important and this is special. So in honor of Black History Month and celebrating that, we wanna be in collaboration with Lafayette Elementary. So I want you guys to be a part of that as well. There's gonna be more information that's coming out, so you gotta stay tuned, but be on the lookout for that. This is something that's special and I think we could all join in on this. Now also, I don't know if you heard this or not, but this past weekend on the 17th we started our very first in-person service yes we had our very first live in-person service i was actually speaking that day and it felt so good to be back and to be able to see people and to be able to communicate the gospel in a in-person way we had the mask we had the six feet distancing uh, we had the one way in and one way out the whole nine it felt so good but if you wanna be a part of that, if you're looking to sign up, if you're interested in more information around that, of maybe I can go, we have two services on Sundays and we want you to be a part of this experiment. So if you wanted more information, it'll be on your screen or you can check out our website. All right, right before we go back to the sermon, I wanna stop and I wanna celebrate you because we're able to do all of these things because of your financial generosity. We're able to do these things because we're being the church. That's right, you're being the church, I'm being the church. And financial generosity is a part of that so this month actually last month bill mentioned that we got some new givers last month in december and now we're in january and we're a few, a few weeks in maybe you're considering to being a new giver maybe you're considering to committing to the mission and vision of ascent of blessing this community of being the church a light and a beacon of light in this community if that's you if you're considering that the information's on your screen or you can visit our website this is what it looks like to be the church And we'd love to have you join in on that. So think about that and consider that. Check out our website or the information that's on your screen. But for now, let's get back to Chris's sermon.
0: So it was almost a decade ago now that I was given this little yellow newborn onesie in hope, right? And that, that outfit would ultimately be worn by both of my daughters, Nora and Quinn, as they were growing up. And always as a reminder to me that there was a group of people who knew me, who who knew me when I had a need, who were able to anticipate it and who reached out to care well for us, right? And to tell you the truth, like, for my whole life growing up in a church community, that aspect has been such a main and important part of what it has meant to be the, the church in my life. And that's true all the way back to the very, very earliest beginnings of the church. We have, you know, 2,000 plus years now of people being shaped by the Holy Spirit and that leading and learning towards caring well for other people. So we are in this series, Where Do You Grow From Here? Where we're going through a book in the Bible that's called Acts, which is, it's really a history of the earliest days of Christianity after Jesus had died. And in the first five chapters, uh, things are actually going really well, right? You have these guys at the, the Acts will call them the apostles. These are the 12 disciples or the guys who traveled most closely with Jesus while he was alive. And they are doing miracles and healing people and they're teaching publicly and tons of people are joining the movement with them. They are, they're facing some like, kickback and persecution from the ruling powers around them. But God keeps showing up and doing like amazing things and saving them from bad situations. Like everything is going really, really great. And it even says this in Acts chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need, right? Everyone's taken care of, everyone's happy, things are growing, right? But something begins to change. As they begin to grow, or as they continue to grow, some problems start to crop up. This is what it says in chapter 6, verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Here's what's going on. Uh, the, the church, like Christianity had originally started with uh, Jewish people who came from the region of Galilee, where Jesus was from, or Jerusalem, or kind of that surrounding region, right? And they were all very culturally similar. They spoke the same language. Uh, they, they had a lot in common. But as the church continues to grow some very different kinds of people are joining it. So when it says like the Greek speaking versus Hebrew speaking, what they're saying is as it's grown, not just in number of people, but in like the actual like scope and region from where these people came from, they had people joining the church who were culturally different, who were ethnically different, who were racially different. And these newcomers, these people who are different are beginning to notice that we are being treated differently Uh, Our widows are being discriminated against in the distribution of food. Here's what's going on there. Uh, In the ancient world, widows were incredibly vulnerable. Um, Often when a woman's husband died, she was left with no way to sustain herself. But in Israel, they had actually created a public support system for widows where they were provided with food. But these women, when they converted to Christianity, were now being excluded from this public support system around them. And so this movement of people, this body of people following Jesus saw that need. They took action to respond to it and provide care. And so they started distributing food themselves. But at chapter six, we find out they're not doing a great job of equally and fairly making sure that everybody is getting what they need. They have a problem. They've gone from a place where in chapter four, it says there were no needy people among them to all of a sudden, we have some of the most vulnerable amongst them being uh, discriminated against because of their ethnic differences. So here's how they respond. This is what happens. Uh, Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 7. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the priests were converted too. So listen, there are a ton of really important things that happen in this passage. Uh, but there's two things that I really, really want to focus on. Uh, the first is that in the earliest like appearance of the people of God, right, they did not see their faith as something that was fully personal and internal, right? They were driven by what had happened inside of them to turn their faith into action. And the second thing is is that they show an incredible amount of intentionality. They don't just think a good thought have a good intention and never get around to it. They take the steps necessary to make sure that the care is needed actually happens. So let me talk about that first idea. This idea of taking our faith from the inside of us and converting it into action outside of us. Because in our day, and and I know that I certainly find this true in my life, I can tend to view my faith and spirituality as something that is personal something that is just for me, that is just on the inside. It, it enriches my life. It, it blesses me. It gives me some meaning and purpose, but, but mostly it's, it's just between me and God. And see, in the earliest church, they didn't see it that way. When they observed a tangible area of need, they immediately took action to address it. They, they couldn't just remain still when they knew something had to be done. Following Jesus and living in faith means living from the inside out. And that is what they do. Because see, the, the Acts, it tells us, you know, the, the apostles, they're teaching, people are listening, they're, they're praying, they're studying the Bible, they're gathering together to learn. And all of that has begun to change them on the inside. And that change on the inside has made it impossible for them to stand by while there are people in desperate need of their care. It just wasn't enough to think it. It wasn't enough to feel it. It's not enough to just believe it. This is going to be a theme that that it continues throughout the Bible. We can go a, a couple books later in the New Testament to the book of James, chapter 2, 14 through 17. This is what it says. It is dead and useless. Guys, what we believe changes who we become. And in the early church, you can see this happening. They have chosen to put their faith and to believe in Jesus. And by doing that, they are being changed into the sort of people who do the kinds of things that Jesus did. And all throughout the Bible, we see the same pattern work its way out people being changed by their interaction with faith and to the sort of people who care and love well for other people. And like remember, when, when Bill kicked off this series, what we've been saying, the word church, right? It, it's not a building. It's not an, organiza- an organization. It is a group of people with a combined purpose, right? A group of people who they've been changed. They've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be actively caring for others, for their their friends and their family, their coworkers, your neighbors, your city, other countries, other people, every place where there are people who are in need of somebody to care well for them. That is where the people of Jesus have been called to go. And here's what's interesting because when we do that, something amazing happens. We actually begin to put Jesus on display for the world around us by the way we treat others. You know, here at Ascent, our our vision statement is that everyone would see Jesus clearly and find life, right? We do that, we help people to see who Jesus really is by the way that we care for other people when we are actively involved in the lives of others, when we're serving and caring and loving people well, we're demonstrating what the world most desperately needs. And what's cool is that that's something that has been a part of God's plan for the world since the very, very beginning. Kind of the the story of our faith begins with this guy named Abraham, right? And God said to him, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you to be a blessing for other people. The job all along was to be a blessing for other people, to live in such a way that it made people curious and hungry, to understand what it was that was different about this community of people. See, we get the opportunity to be the the hands, like the feet of God in this world, a God who wants to love generously and care deeply to see good happen for all people and is is given that to us as a job. It's an honor. It's a privilege that we get to do that. But this is what we have to hear. That is something that our lonely Bible study and prayer behind closed doors can never do. They have to work together. Both things have to happen. And that happens when we move our internal faith into external action in the world. But one thing that can happen really easily is that we we get it in our mind like, yep, let's do that. But then we never actually get around to it. And what I love about this passage is that you can see that, that all the parties involved take immediate and decisive steps to make sure that we don't just have good intentions, but that the things that need to happen actually happen. And you see it all over the passage. You see it first with the Greek-speaking Christians, right? Like these people, they're newer, they're less influential, they look different, they sound different, they act different, right? And they're now being treated differently. What they don't do, they don't just sulk. They don't just complain amongst one another and then decide, you know what? I'm out. I don't want to do this anyways. And maybe they shoot off an email on their way out the door to explain why they're not coming back. No, they they push, they confront, they, they, they fight, they complain. They say, no, like we have been called to be so much more than this and I will not stand by and let it go the wrong way, right? They don't just hold it inside. They do what they have to do in order to help the church be everything that it was always intended to be. They show incredible intentionality to not just bail, they stick in there and they push to make things right. And then the apostles, they do the same thing too, right? As soon as they hear that there's this problem, what does it say they do? It says the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They got everybody together. They didn't do it in a closed room, like committee meeting behind the scenes. They said, no, 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 we have to call this out. Everybody in the room right now. And then they had that group. They said, you guys, select seven people people who are wise, who are full of the Holy Spirit and have good reputations to make sure that what we all know needs to happen really happens. I, I find it so fascinating that, that these really are the first like office holders in the early church. And they weren't called to, uh, to teach or to talk. They were given authority and a position to make sure that people were well cared for from the literal very beginning, the way that we care for one another has been at the heart and soul of this movement that we call the church. And that has so much to do with a lot of the decisions that Ascent makes, right? Last uh, December, um, you all, if you were tuning in at all, you heard a lot about the Christmas shop. Why do we host a place every year and bring in like tens of thousands of toys? Well, it's because we heard that there were kids in our area who were waking up on Christmas morning without a single present under the tree, and that there were parents who were waking up and having to look in those kids' eyes and try to explain. There was a need, and we cared. And we took action to make sure it got better. You may not know this. At Ascent, we actually have a what we call the missions team. And it's a group of volunteers who give an enormous amount of time and effort to finding, organizing, and, and mobilizing people in this church into opportunities to serve and care well for others. All those people volunteer their time. And they do it because there's a need. And they care. It's why uh, you know we haven't been able to go because of the COVID pandemic. But... Uh, We have this ongoing partnership with a ministry in Cuba. um, And the second that we are able to go there again, you can bet that there are gonna be people from Ascent headed to Cuba to partner with Pastor Willie and our friends down there because it's a place where there is a need, where there are people who God loves and who we have the opportunity to care well for. This is why uh, we partner with our school districts the way that we do. You know, uh, again, pre-COVID, whenever we had parent-teacher Uh, conferences in our local school districts. People from Ascent would show up and provide uh, catered home-cooked meals for the teachers who have to be at their school all night long meeting with parents. The last round that we did it, we actually organized a chain of people who on the hour every hour brought in freshly baked still warm chocolate chip cookies and put them in the teacher's lounge. Why do we do that? Because we care deeply and we are putting into place the, the, the steps and the administration that has to happen in order for the intention to love well to be translated into reality. All year long, we're doing drives for toys and backpacks and coats and toiletry items. Why? Because people need it and we can help. We actually have a person on the missions team who her whole job is to organize meal trains, right? Like her job is like, if we find out somebody has a baby or has a need, she will get a whole bunch of people to sign up to show up every evening for however long it takes with a meal for that family. That's something that we are able to do. It's why my role has changed. Up until the beginning of January, I had one job at Ascent, and now I my title is pastor of care. I am here to make sure, especially in a time when we are as far apart and it's difficult to see one another, finding ways to know where do people need to be cared for and loved well and make sure that it happens. And in this passage, I just think it's so cool that God uses an administrative response in order to solve for a spiritual problem. And we want to hold ourselves accountable to do the same thing. And so that's what the church does. That's what we do as an organization. But as we move towards the close here, I wanna talk about how does this play out personally in our own lives, in our individual actions? How do we start being the kind of people who give away little yellow onesies? Well, I think the first step uh, just comes with awareness, right? It's so easy in this world to be so captured and caught up with the various Uh, responsibilities and troubles in my own life, that it gets really hard to notice when someone else might have a need that I could potentially help. And I don't know about you, I don't know any hungry Greek widows, right? So I can't do exactly what the original church did, but here's what I do know. In my life, there are people who need love and care. And I promise you that there are people in your sphere, the people that you are already interacting with, with whom there is opportunity to make a real difference. And so you begin by praying about it, by actually asking God, God help me to to get my own problems out from in front of me. Help me to see what is happening in other people's lives. I've been doing this, and one of the most fascinating things, it has changed the way that I scroll through Instagram and Facebook. Because in a status update or in a picture that is po- uh, posted, I'm learning I can find a whole lot about what people are going through, about the pain points in, the li- in their lives or, or the things that they want to celebrate and bring others into. Um, and so I've just changed some behavior myself. Instead of just double tapping and liking it, right? I've been trying to make a point to write a handwritten card because nobody does that anymore. So I'm like trying to write cards as much as I can or I make a phone call instead of a text to actually speak to a person. Anytime I notice that there's something big that's happened in their life, to try to let them know, "Hey, I see this. I'm with you. I care about you. I want to be in it with you." And you know, sometimes we, you know, in, in this story, they're actually feeding people who didn't have enough money to buy food and sometimes our responses are monetary, right? That 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 is a piece of it. You know, for Lindsay and I, my wife we have picked a few organizations that we really love their their mission and and we support them. You heard about one two weeks ago if you tuned in when Bill was teaching. It's called Generate Hope. There's um, a young woman from our church who is the executive director here in Colorado and it provides long-term housing, uh, counseling, support, care, a sense of family, job training, anything that is needed for women who have been rescued out of a situation of human trafficking. It's an amazing organization and we are so pleased and honored for the opportunity to support it. And so we do. But I have found that most often the response that is needed is not monetary. It it has more to do with with who I am and how I spend my time than it is with with what I I give to other people. And I think it it kind of breaks down for me into three areas. my my areas where i have an opportunity to be of service my areas where i can remember and my areas where i can just offer the gift of my presence and here's what i mean by that there are things uh, that i'm able to do to serve other people there are things that you are able to do to serve other people and it, they don't always have to be these huge grand gestures. Maybe it's, it's getting up early and, and shoveling the snow off the driveway of a widowed neighbor before you do your own. Maybe it's buying a couple bags of groceries and dropping them off to somebody who's in transition. It's another one that I'll always remember. Uh, when I was first married, we, we moved to a place that, that neither of us had ever lived. We didn't know anybody there. Um, and we got into our apartment and we opened the refrigerator and there were two bags of groceries in there that had been, been purchased and dropped off by my boss and his wife. And from that moment, right, right then, Lindsay and I knew, wow, we're not, we're not alone here. Somebody cares. You can mow someone's grass. You can offer to watch someone's kids for them, to give them a break. Take a, take a project at work off of a coworker's desk who you know is really overwhelmed. One of my favorites is when I was in college, I had a friend named Victor. And Victor had a habit that anytime we were in anybody's house, he would go into the kitchen and we were college kids. So generally, uh, the kitchen had a lot of unwashed dishes and Victor would just start doing the dishes. And it was amazing how uh, him doing that got noticed. And we almost all started fighting over who would get to do the dishes. And I remember so many excellent conversations with people while doing the dishes in a house I didn't live in. It's something that Victor just instinctively did everywhere he went as a way to tell people, I see you, I care about you, I love you, I'm here to serve you. And so we can do that too. We can offer service to people. But sometimes the most powerful thing we can do is just to remember with someone what's happening in their life. Every November 14th uh, marks the anniversary of the day that my dad passed away and every november 14th there are two people who i know i'm going to hear from their names are rachel and andre and what's interesting is neither of them are like regular parts of my life anymore there's people you know i talk to once or twice a year but they always remember that day and they always reach out to say hey i know this day matters to you and i know today you're probably feeling a little lonely you're probably hurting a little bit i just want you to know i love you i'm thinking about you i'm with you in this and that means something to me, knowing that Rachel and Andre are going to remember. I've tried to model that in my life. Like that has not been a habit of mine, but now I, I try to write down important dates in other people's lives so that I can write a card or make a call and do the sort of thing that they have done for me. But here's the biggest one. And it's also the hardest one. The hardest one is just to offer your presence. Your presence. When someone is in desperate need of care, simply being there with them is often the best thing that we can do. So when my dad died, I was seven weeks into being in grad school and I, I lived my entire life in Missouri up till then. And suddenly I found myself in Los Angeles. And I went home for the funeral and was spent time with my family, but I had to go back out for the next quarter. And I have often thought back on that time because I hadn't had enough enough time out there yet to really have a bunch of close friends and people to help shoulder that burden with me. And I've often thought I I would not have been able to stay in grad school had it not been for one thing. My school had a couple of these things that they called intentional communities and I happened to live in one. And so while I lived in an apartment with a roommate, a fairly normal situation, all of the people who lived in this apartment complex, we had a common area where we would eat dinner together four nights a week. And every month we'd have like a business meeting and we'd do a retreat in the spring. Um, And once a week you had to be on the team that cooked and cleaned up the dinner. And so we made uh, a real commitment to be intentionally devoted to that community. And, and that's where I happened to live. And when I first got back to California after my dad had died, everybody was really great about, about offering their condolences and supporting me. But as the days and weeks moved on, most people just went back to normal life. But I still was grieving every minute of every day, my dad. But there was a handful of people in that community who, who they remembered with me and they kept giving me opportunities to be that because I, what I found was I I thought about my dad all the time, but I didn't want to bring it up and like bum everybody out, right? It felt like I would be a burden if I talked about it. But this handful of people, they kept asking, right? They would ask me the question, give me the space to talk. There's one couple, you know, I, I was a mid 20s bachelor, just like living very much the life I'd lived in college. But there was one family in the in the community and they were they were married, they were 10 or 15 years older, they had a kid. And on one of the days that we didn't have a community meal, they invited me to their house uh, to have dinner with them. And I sat down and they just said, "We you tell us about your dad? Tell me stories about him. What was he like? What did he enjoy doing? And for a couple hours, these incredibly kind and thoughtful people created the space to be in my presence and let me share. And when I did, I felt so much less alone Because when I was thinking about it all the time and afraid to tell anybody, it made me feel so, so alone. They just sat with me. They they maintained presence with me in this incredibly difficult time, and that affected me. But let me ask this question. Have you ever had somebody that you knew was, was grieving, was suffering, was struggling, and you thought, oh, I should say something, I should do something, but I don't wanna like bring it up and make them sad so I won't do anything. Or, or maybe you thought, I just don't know what to say. And so you decided to say nothing at all. That has 100% been my MO for most of my life. But that experience uh, in that community began to change something in me to, to do it differently. And so here's what I have found to be helpful in a moment like that. I just show up and I ask the most direct question about whatever is the saddest part of their life. I just bring it up because my experience had been, I thought about my dad all the time, but I was afraid to tell anybody, right? So if somebody asked me, it like gave me permission. And so I've just made it my goal to, to give people that permission, to never let the thing go unsaid, to address the elephant in the room and talk about the sad thing that has happened. And... Here's what's gonna happen after you do that. You're gonna ask that question and they're gonna talk for a little bit and then it's gonna come back to you and it's gonna be time for you to say something. And right in that moment, you're gonna feel really stupid, right? Because you're not gonna know what to say. And what I have found to be true is that at the point that I start to feel really uncomfortable not knowing what to say, that's when what I'm doing begins to be helpful for the other person. When I'm willing to swallow my own discomfort, and stay in that place with them and just ask another question. Oftentimes I find myself thinking, I wish I knew the perfect thing to say, right? I wish I could give you uh, these like brilliant words that are, are just what the moment calls for. But the truth is, it's not actually about what you have to say. Great advice does not make grief go away. But it's a lot easier to walk through grief when you aren't doing it alone. You don't don't need to know the right thing to say. People just need your presence to be there with them. You ask the questions, let them talk, and you listen. Back in the earliest days of the people of Jesus, they, they got this, they understood that, they loved well they served well, they cared well for other people, they noticed the needs of those who were around them and they were compelled to step into that space. And we can do the same. Would you pray with me? God, we ask that you would help us to be aware, to see the needs of people around us and to know how to respond. Help us to respond, help us to be the kind of people who with great intentionality take the work you are doing on the inside of us and move it outward into action. God, take our life and let it be used by you. Take our life and let it be a blessing to others, God. God, take our life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee.
1: Well friends, we want to enter in together and really worship and pray through the words of this last song together. This is an old hymn with a new song and, and we invite you to really engage. Do join us. Take my life,
2: Today has been an amazing time, but now it's time to go be that caring church. I hope you had a great Sunday and we'll see you next week.